Views and opinions expressed on this program are those solely of its speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of WMUA, its management board, or the board of trustees of the University of Massachusetts. This is Unbeaten. Thanks for tuning in. Great to have you listening. Live from Amherst, Massachusetts, in the basement of the Murray D. Lincoln Campus Center, broadcasting on WMUA 91.1 FM and online streaming. It is Thursday, March 1st, first day of the month. We have a great topic today, so let's get things started. Hello and welcome into another episode of Unbeaten. Same time every week, Thursday, 11 o'clock here on WMUA. Today we are talking college basketball, the NCAA. Uh, as many of you know, the FBI is investigating, doing reports into uh, multiple universities in which they are allegedly paying their players uh, most of us know that this is uh, most likely the reality. Most most college basketball players are being paid. Um, a lot of pros actually uh, took to Twitter to confirm that you know these are athletes that are getting paid, collegiate athletes that are getting paid uh, through the university uh, under the table. It's just a matter of now, do we make it legal? Uh, for players to receive compensation for their play. Uh, NCAA teams are also recruiting, using using money as like bonus signing type deals to recruit players to sign uh, or join the team. There was a story, uh, Arizona coach Sean Miller made arrangements with, uh, this is a rogue agent. So I guess somebody, I guess this uh, sort of corruption is probably, from what I understand through the articles that uh, I've been reading, is that uh, it's most likely coming from these agents, uh, from these these uh, sports agencies that will pay uh, top recruits like DeAndre Ayton. Uh, they paid him up to a hundred thousand. And those allegations have resulted in Miller not coaching. Uh, I think it was the previous, the most recent game for Arizona. So uh, basically, Miller, it looks like, could suffer from severe penalties. And there's a good chance he may never coach uh, in the NCAA again. That's just one of the stories. Um, the president of the NCAA, Mark Emmert, he has been uh, is strongly opposing, obviously, uh, these these sort of actions in which teams are paying their players. Um, Emmert came out and said that uh, with these latest allegations, it's clear this work is more important now than ever. The board and I completely are completely committed to making transformational changes to the game and ensuring all involved in college basketball do so with integrity. End quote. 
Uh, to me, that doesn't really sound like he's trying to solve a whole lot, even though uh, he just said that he wants to you know, make change or whatever. This is sort of a blank statement coming from Emmert. It doesn't really have a whole lot of uh, content behind, you know, it, do- it doesn't sound like he's, it's a very, like, standard PR answer. Um, so he's going to obviously try to push back any any rulings that would pay players. But in terms of everyone else's thought process, I know the, the general ideology is that most people are for NCAA athletes getting paid just because of how much money the NCAA already makes, uh, that it would be reasonable to compensate you know, some of their top athletes. And I know uh, it's definitely up for debate in terms of you know, what athletes get paid and what athletes possibly might not get paid because then now you have to worry about compensating every player and not just, say, basketball and football like the popular sports. Obviously, they drive in more revenue than the less popular sports, the ones that, you know, don't even have, like, TV deals with the major uh, network stations like CBS and Fox. Um, obviously, the, the NCAA can make a lot of money off of those broadcast deals. And just, I think, the I mean, March Madness in general for basketball is, like, a multi-million dollar industry uh, through all the advertisements that they make and the, the TV deals uh, they just make. In a, a very large sum of money, um, but going back to you know whether whether players should be paid or not, you'll have players uh, argue or people argue, excuse me, that they're, the players are already being compensated through you know their scholarships and uh, the you know the free education they receive. But on the other hand, not all not all players are scholarship players. And not all of them, you know, have full scholarships. And even at that, uh, they could probably be making a lot more than what their uh, salary, or excuse me, what what their uh, their scholarship covers off on. Uh, they could be making, you know, millions off of this this industry. At least in you know, if if we want to specifically name a sport we could say basketball because it's just such a uh, large and popular industry that makes a lot of money and sort of sticking with the the basketball theme uh, many people argue that players shouldn't even have to go to the NCAA they should just be able to go straight out of high school because you know now you know they obviously have the you have to play one year of college before going to the NBA, the one-and-done type deal that has now sort of become the regular for most college basketball stars. Uh, You you could argue that they're losing because of the year that they have to play in college. They lose an entire year's salary just because of the rule that's in place. Like, their talents could be making them, you know, at least, like, a million, whatever the whatever like the rookie signing minimum is. If they're that good of a player, they could be making uh, that type of money. But instead, because they have to play in the NCAA for a year, they're losing that 
compensation, a whole year's worth of compensation uh, that their skills could be earning them. Players like LeBron James, I think uh, Lonzo Ball, I believe, both of those players have spoken out against the NCAA. LeBron just sort of mentioning how corrupt in general they are and you know how messed up the system is. Uh, Ball spoke on the fact that most players are getting paid. He sort of like confirmed that most players are getting paid, something most people already knew, um, and basically said that you know you might as well just do it legally because these players are getting paid anyway, and now you have the FBI investigating because this is a much bigger issue. I mean, it started with uh, Louisville uh, in the fall specifically. Now the FBI just came out, just released a list of another dozen, two dozen universities that they're investigating into. So it's not looking good for those programs, especially the direction in which, you know, the 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 penalties that Louisville has landed as of most recent. Most recently, they were stripped, or they have to vacate their most recent uh, NCAA championship win. So uh, obviously, I don't I don't really get how you can do that. I mean, I think that once a once a team takes away once once a team wins a championship, I don't really understand how you can take it away. It's more of like a I guess more of a moral defeat in the sense that, you know, I think they're required to take down banners or uh, they, they're probably not allowed to make, like, revenue off of that win anymore. So it's, it's definitely, it definitely comes down to just the punishment factor. But, you know, at the end of the day, they still won the championship, so I don't know, you can't really take that away from them. Um, but that's just the NCAA for you. They're going to, you know, try to make things difficult for you if you... Uh, cross them in the wrong way and that's essentially what Louisville and all these universities have done by paying their players under the table that sort of covers off on uh, the main topic of today sort of my take on the uh, whole college basketball uh, compensation fiasco if I haven't stated my opinion clear enough I think that they should be uh, paid they should be compensated for their skills with that being said, uh, that's the main topic. We're going to move on to just some like general headlines in the news. The Golden Knights still uh, sit atop the NHL. They are establishing uh, themselves as a dominant team in a, in a sports town, really, for a team that only has one sport in that city. But at the same time, they're so dominant, they draw in such large crowds and they're they're very modern and I guess you could say hip I I know they just recently enacted a rule like a policy at the arena saying that only kids under the age of like 12 or like 14 are able to receive autographs from players which I think is cool because a lot of times adults will take advantage of asking for autographs just so they can, you know, turn a profit and sell it on eBay or, you know, collect it and you know, eventually make money for it. Where it's like the players are, I mean, the, the, the kids are more there just to 
you know, uh, get to interact with their icon and get the signature of one of their favorite players. So that's something that no other uh, sports arena or organization has really put into uh, rule. Uh, so the Vegas Golden Knights are very, for such a new team, they're already so ahead of the curve, I think. Um, I figured we definitely have to mention their success on the show just because uh, they're doing such a great job for a new organization. I'm just sort of going down the list of top headlines. This sort of going back to the whole NCAA-type uh, scandal uh, thing, but now now it's more geared towards football. Uh, Nate Robinson said that in in a Sports Illustrated podcast that Washington offered him $100,000 to return to the university to play football for them. 100000 per year uh, to resume his football career. Robinson said on the podcast, my freshman year, they made it easy for me to make my decision to quit and go play basketball which I wanted to do anyway. For my three years at UW, I had a booster offer me $100,000 per year to come back and play football because they needed Nate Robinson back on the football field because we weren't winning games. It wasn't exciting. It was crazy. We went through the dark ages at the University of Washington. End quote. And that was, you know, 11 years ago, he's sitting now, you know, Robinson uh, being drafted in the first round of the NBA draft, making the right decision, has gone on uh, to play 11 seasons in the league. I think we're going to see that with all these uh, major headlines uh, surrounding the NCAA's corruption and university corruption, I think you might see some more players continue to come out and share their stories. So we're going to we're going to probably see a lot of major headlines in the uh, next few weeks to come. In Boston sports news, the Bruins have signed Rick Nash as part of the their major uh, trade deadline deal. They acquired him from the Rangers for a first-round uh, pick, and I think they sent Ryan Spooner as well to the Rangers. And uh, obviously, like I said, receiving Rick Nash... He is a solid uh, acquisition for the Bruins as they appear to be contenders uh, this year, top contenders that could possibly and potentially make a deep playoff run. Uh, he's a top five winger, and he I think he, he, he'll fit really well on the second line with David Krejci sort of centering uh, that line. The combination of them two uh, will really bring out the best of you know the second line where I think there was some depth, depth lacking. So that's all the uh, major, like, around the uh, world, like, sports headlines, the major ones. Uh, when we come back, we're going to take a short break in a second. When we come back, we're going to talk about UMass Athletics, sort of cover uh, the major headlines, maybe feature a big game from last week. So don't go anywhere. Stay tuned to Unbeaten on WMUA 91.1 FM. This is WMUA Sports. 
UMass Men and Women Basketball on WMUA is supported by listeners like you and by Collective Copies, a worker-owned print shop with a mission. Printing, publishing, and promotion. 11 worker owners who share over 150 years of experience in the print industry are there to help you at every step. Collective Copies in Amherst and Florence and online 24-7 at collectivecopies.com. Thanks for staying with us, WMUA. This is Unbeaten. It's time to go into a little bit of UMass Athletic Talks. UMass Minute Women played Marist yesterday. Uh, the week, the game before that, they went up against Yale. We're, we'll sort of recap that game It was as it was sort of a major uh, game for them. Uh, unfortunately, they lost 14-9, but... Uh, Kayla Duperuzel for Yale. Uh, she had six points on the day. She's a United States lacrosse first-team All-American. So she led Yale to a 14-9 win over the Minute Women. on. This was on Saturday. So uh, Coach, coach Angela McMahon, head coach of the UMass Minute Women, said Duperuzel was tough. She was a physical, strong player that really muscled her way in there. She really did a great job and stepped up for them. Duperuzel, who led the team with 13 points on the season, started the game by scoring a quick four goals that were part of an early eight-goal run in the first half for the Yale Bulldogs. Uh, McMahon said, we've got to start the game better. We have to put our offensive opportunities away, end quote. Uh, despite winning the shot battle 34-32 in the game, the Minute Women failed to convert the majority of their shots this was especially evident for UMass in the second half as they only scored four goals on 24 shots. When asked about um, shots on net, McMahon said, when we win the draws and loose balls, we're capable of putting the ball away and generating offense. We also shot four for 24 in the second half, so the shooting percentage isn't really going to win us any games. So Yale owned Massachusetts 18-7 in draw controls as well, something the Minute Women have put heavy emphasis on after losing their key uh, draw specialist, Hannah Murphy, who graduated at the end of last season. She is the all-time leader in draw controls for the UMass Minute Women. When asked about draw controls, uh, McMahon said, we have to focus in and spend more time with it. Just dig in. A lot of it is skill and just us improving on our skill. In terms of when the ball hits the ground, it becomes more of a 50-50 ball. Just putting our bodies in the right position there. So the Minute Women have distributed draw circle responsibilities. Uh, now that Hannah Murphy is gone, they've distributed the responsibilities uh, into sort of a committee of players. Uh, so there's no, there's no one specific specialist like there was last season. Uh, Kylie Anderson currently leads the team with six. Uh, draw control is followed by uh, Stephanie Crook, Brindley Anderson with five each, and then Abby Walker and Caitlin Petro with four. Uh, so not letting the atmosphere get to her. Uh, also, Caitlin Karassi had a pretty big game. She sort of put her head down, went to work, scored a hat trick despite the tough loss. Uh, 
When asked about her performance, McMahon said uh, she's kind of been struggling in her shooting, so it was good to see her put a few goals away. Uh, Karassi, a sophomore, is fourth in the team in scoring. She has five goals so far in what seemed to be some, somewhat of a second-half uh, surge against the Yale Bulldogs. The Minute Women went on a three-goal tear that closed the gap, bringing them to, I think it was a 12-8 score. That was the closest they got. Uh, the surge was not the only prominent run of the game. They did sort of go on another three-goal type run at the end of the second half. Yale still managing to pull away. But uh, McMahon said she was happy about you know the runs they went on. She said, it took us a little while to get into a groove, but we battled through that and went on a bit of a run that created some offense for us. End quote. So they're still very obviously very capable of producing offense. That's their specialty. That's why they're so good and why they've been so good for so long. Um, so they're looking forward to they're they're just sort of looking ahead, uh, trying to put it behind them. Saturday's game uh, was just the third of eight non-conference games uh, before you know they open up Atlantic Ten play, in which they'll do that on March 29th against St. Joseph's. Uh, when I was passing by Garber the other day, I was looking at the, the home game schedule. Not a lot of them this year. Uh, they're very, very good at home. And not to mention that they're not home for a while. So they're, they're already 1-2 and two in the season, and they still have four more road games to play uh, before they return to Garber. That Their return to Garber will be on March 21st against Harvard. But, you know, essentially they still have a lot of, like, competitive non-conference games, a lot of competitive road games early in the season, you know, before they can fully settle in and establish themselves as, you know, the dominant team that we all know they are. Uh, but for now, you know, they gotta they got to stick with the tough schedule that's ahead of them. When they do come home, they're most likely going to have a lot of success They've lost very, very little home games in the last, like, five years. Uh, it's it's very... The number of wins they have at home are very, very high. The odds of them losing at home are unlikely. Uh, so when they come back home, they'll probably get, you know, get rolling and grooving again and, you know, sort of hit their stride. But... Uh, yeah, there was also yesterday's game. Uh, Jonna Drummond, the assistant UMass head coach, she was previously employed at Marist College. Um, so that was so probably sort of a little bit of a homecoming for her. But uh, yeah, that was that was sort of the big game for them this past week. So I figured I'd recap it. Sort of moving on to basketball, both men's and women's, the A-10 tournaments. Those are set to get underway very soon, uh, basketball uh, lost by a very narrow margin to George Mason, which is unfortunate because they have sort of lost a lot of games that way uh, by small margin this season. But, you know, they're going to be looking to go, they're trying at least to go into tournament play with a little bit of momentum clearly struggling. I know they still have, I think, one more game uh, senior night uh, before the tournament starts to kick off. Um, but the women, on the other hand, are 
winning games towards the end of this season. Uh, they won against Richmond on Saturday, so they're carrying a lot of momentum into this tournament. They're not expected to go far. Um, it would, I think, even be a surprise to most people if they win the first game, but just in, because of you know the the seeding and the difficulty of the the teams or the team that they'll be going up against, but still good to see them winning games at the end of the season, trying to gain momentum. That's obviously a good sign for you know future years to come. That you know they're only they're only improving every year. And same with basketball because um, you know there was a period of time in the past few years where they were sort of you know they weren't they weren't going anywhere in terms of progress. But now it seems like this year has been the right step in the right direction. McCall has taken over and sort of turned the program around. Um, I was talking to one of the team managers uh, on the basketball team, and he was just saying how he spoke so highly of McCall and just saying how great of a coach he is, very good play caller. So they're doing a good job in you know turning their program around, which I feel like a lot of a lot of UMass teams are doing here on campus. Hockey's another great example of a team that's been just turning things around. I know Carvel's pretty happy with the way they ended the season. Um, so they'll be opening up the Hockey East Tournament with home home ice advantage, which is, you know, nobody would have guessed they had the amount of success they did this season. Uh, it's, it's cool when a team sort of exceeds expectations like that, and I know uh, even Carvel was saying that's his favorite thing when a team, you know, sort of uh, has low expectations and then they come out and really do more than what was what most people thought they would and they're such a young team too that that's probably why people didn't expect a whole lot of out, of, out of them but home ice advantage very cool after only five total wins last season so they're gonna play Vermont uh, today or tonight I should say and then they will play them tomorrow as well and there will be a game three, if necessary, on Saturday, I believe. So the winner of that series will move on. Hopefully, there'll be a good crowd at the Mullins Center uh, for those games, at least the first two games, because, um, you know, Carville has been, you know, quoted saying how much the energy means to the players. And I'm a, I'm a firm believer in you know, how much a crowd can. Uh, factor into the success of the home team. So important that you know everyone shows out. There, there have been really good attendance showings in terms of like, you know, what they've been getting in the past. Uh, obviously, we're not filling the Mullen Center. It holds like nine, ten thousand people. That would be insane. I mean, that'd be awesome. There's nothing wrong with that. But still, filling a good amount of seats for compared to you know what they used to fill. Uh, in the past couple of years, obviously the team wasn't as good in the past couple of years. Now they're, you know, starting to prove themselves. It's good to see, you know, people, the, the students, and even alumni, and just anyone in the area just coming out to support the team. So that's very cool. Um, we don't have a lot of time left. We're just going to go through some scrolling headlines on the UMass website, like we always do. Uh, some of the headlines might overlap with stuff we already talked about, but that's all right. We're just going to read them off. Uh, number 24, women's lacks 
They played Marist yesterday. Uh, I'm not going to go in-depth to that, to that, but basically um, UMass dropped in the coaches' polling. They went from like number 19 to number 24. Obviously expected with a couple of losses. They, they're one and two on the season, so obviously I think they started out the season like expected to be like the 19th best team in the country. Like I said, now they've dropped to 24th. Uh, men's basketball, they closed uh, out the road schedule Wednesday against Richmond. We already talked about how they uh, lost that game by a narrow margin. Matt Reynolds for baseball. Uh, that era is starting to begin uh, with this weekend's matchup against Pittsburgh uh, and St. Peter's College. They're going to travel to Florida for a four-game stretch beginning on Friday. He's expected, Matt Reynolds is expected to lead the team and have uh, some some good performances. Uh, UMass football will host career night and networking event. I guess that's, there you go. <laughs> that's a plug for them. Um, that will be at the UMass Gridiron Club. Okay, next headline. Mulligan, uh, Matt Murray, Austin Albright. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, student athletes of the week. Uh, the trio from the women's basketball and hockey programs will be honored, uh, or were honored yesterday um, at the UMass Sports Luncheon. So it sounds like they do that for their athletes every week. We don't really have time for a lot more headlines, but that pretty much covers everything. Thanks again for tuning into the show. You can follow us on Twitter at uh, Unbeaten Show, U N B E A T O N Show. Thanks for listening, everybody, and have a great rest of your week.